Hello, and welcome to The Grit Show, where we look at what it takes to build careers and businesses within the outdoor industry. I'm your host, Chase Baker. Today, I'm joined by Hames Ellerby. Hames, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Weather's been a little bit crazy, but finally calming down from the holiday. I would imagine things are pretty fast and furious by you. Yeah, uh, we wrapped up Q4, so a little more smooth sailing now, but we're in <laughs> Q1, so planning <laughs> nonstop. Yeah. Where are you currently working? Uh, I work at Gerber Gear. Okay, very cool. And for those aren't, that maybe aren't familiar with Gerber Gear, what types of product offering do you have over there? Uh, mostly knives. Um, that's what most people know us as, is Gerber Knives. But a while back, we became Gerber Gear, and we're multi-tools knives, uh, fixed blades, folding knives, uh, kind of survivalist overlanding tools, uh, such as shovels, uh, some saws, and some future products that are coming out to make us a bit more of a holistic outdoor brand. Okay, very cool. I can't really discuss too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of non-disclosure stuff you, you can't get into there. I remember Gerber from a ways back. Uh, it was kind of hatchets and saws. What was really what they were known for, at least in my my local area. And my cousin and I, we spent a lot of time running around the woods of Wisconsin, building forts and stuff with Gerber hatchets strapped on our belt. So I'm familiar with some of the product line going back a pretty far ways. But you guys are constantly developing new and fun things over there. Oh yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. So. Hames, what is your current role and what kind of tasks go along with that role at Gerber? Um, I kind of have two roles. So I'm the packaging program manager, but I'm also a product marketing manager as well, which is slightly confusing <laughs> unless you're in the role. So I'm in charge of the, the global packaging program, and that includes all design, uh, how the, the packaging looks on the shelves the actual size and die lines of the packaging and working with suppliers to how that gets made down all the way down to materials. And then the product marketing side of things, I work with the product managers and guide how that product uh, looks going to market. So I lay out briefs for uh, selling assets, briefs on uh, where the creative team can take the actual the, the lifestyle and uh, studio assets as well. And then that from there, they take that and they create sell sheets and whatever other marketing assets can be created from that. Wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty in-depth. I mean, so you're involved from the, like the product packaging standpoint, but all the way to when we're seeing it on shelf, you know, where we're seeing it, how it's being shown, some of the marketing materials that maybe push the consumers to see that that's a lot of moving pieces to keep track of. It is. Um, luckily we have a great team. I kind of float between creative and marketing. Um, and we have a fantastic team and we work with a lot of great agencies. So we're all pretty tight knit and collaborate well together. So it seems to come out great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would have to be with, with that much going on all the time. So, I mean, that, that kind of leads me to my next question here is, why did you choose to pursue a career within the outdoor industry? That's a loaded question on my end. Um, <laughs> so I, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. 
we got to backtrack a ways for this one. And yeah, basically my parents instilled a love of the outdoors for me at a, a really young age. I started skiing when I was one, um, which is basically is how I, I got to the West coast, um, mountain biking when I was eight, uh, hunting, fishing, uh, skateboarding. Um, but mainly I'm a, a skier, snowboarder and mountain biker. And we started building the terrain park at my home mountain when I was 13 years old. And I parlayed that into ski sponsorships for freestyle skiing. So the terrain parks, things along those lines and moved west to Lake Tahoe and right around that was after undergrad and right around, uh, basically after being about a, a year out there of chasing the ski dream, I had, I gotten a job as a terrain park supervisor at Boreal. Okay. And I was making a lot of marketing videos, which it's now called Woodward Tahoe, a little bit different now. And I didn't see my ski career blossoming <laughs> as I was getting older. Um, and people were learning tricks that I just couldn't do. So I op saw an opportunity to go on the ski resort operations side of things and progress my career that way. And so from there, I stayed with Boreal and got promoted to Mount Bachelor as the train park and youth marketing manager there and just kind of blossomed from there and then had a slight career shift because I decided to go to grad school in 2016. Okay. And making a little bit of a pivot there. Yeah. Um, there was freelance work in between, um, in between the ski industry and grad school. And I always wanted to get my master's and then I wanted to get back, uh, cause I was doing freelance with, within the outdoor industry and I just wanted to get back working for a brand full time and an opportunity arose at Gerber and here I am. So, okay. Long story. I, I was kind of born into it, I guess. This is a simple answer. No, no, that's an interesting path. You know, I, I think a lot of folks end up sort of making a pivot into the outdoor industry, or at least that's my theory that not, not a whole lot of us just dive right in straight out of college. Maybe some do. It, to me, it's it's interesting that you have background within kind of that athletic sponsorship team from early on, because that's sort of, that was like pro staff or field staff, as a lot of folks are calling it these days. That was kind of the early version of that, where stuff was very kind of off the books. Nothing was on paper or formal. You maybe got some deals and some dollars here and there. But you're going to be really familiar with what it means to operate within some of those pro staff, field staff spaces from kind of a hands-on perspective. So it's, it's kind of interesting that you moved from that into a more professional um, side of things. Yeah, it, it definitely lined me up for um, basically the output that I knew the consumer wanted to see um, because I was a consumer. Um, but also I saw the, the more in depth side of things. So, um, I knew a little bit of the inner workings moving into the outdoor industry just from my time as being a semi-professional skier, but I also managed athletes once I moved to the resort side of things. So I managed the teams and I knew what we wanted to get from them as well as what they needed from us. And so it, it was a lot easier of a relationship. Sure. Um, as far as that in. 
conveying to the consumer what they would like and what we would like in return and being successful at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't think too many people have experience kind of on, on both sides of the coin like that, right. To, to have been kind of in the trenches doing the legwork on the pro staff stuff or to be on the marketing side, trying to get your deliverables, trying to keep the team moving in the right direction. Um, that's, that's a great advantage. Oh uh, yeah. It definitely set me up for success and it's been fun so far. So if any of our listeners wanted to find a similar role, let's say they're interested in product packaging or, or marketing products um, that they've done work on, what kind of steps might somebody take to get into a similar role without having to go the snowboard ski career and then you know through the masters? What, what might be a more direct route for someone? So it all comes down to connections from, from my perspective, and that's kind of how I landed at Gerber. The ski industry and the snowboard industry is a really small industry, same with biking. And I've worked very closely within those. And when I was working freelance, I was mainly uh, video and photo. And within that, you just become friends with people. And I had helped out a studio that uh, kind of my photography mentor co-owned at the time. And now he's solo. Um and he connected me with Gerber and it just kind of worked out. And there was, there was also people at Gerber that I had met before. And so it's working those connections is the best way to progress. That's interesting. So it's not as though you answered a help wanted ad no. and like sent them your LinkedIn profile. Like it, it was friend of a friend type of situation. Yeah, it was, I inquired with uh, my mentor, my photo mentor, uh, his name's Mark Welsh. And he said that Gerber was looking for this particular role and he thought I would be great, a great fit within that, the team at Gerber. Um, but also just my skill set, creating decks and, uh, briefs and selling assets, things along those lines. And it worked out great and we get along really well. <laughs> About how long would you say that that took from when you reached out to the mentor to when you're, you know, actually signing an agreement with Gerber? Uh, that was probably three months. Okay. Um, it, it wasn't too long. It was pretty, pretty fast paced. That's not bad. So yeah. <laughs> that's probably faster than some of the interview processes these days. Oh yeah. I've heard stories of six months to a year. Yeah. It's getting pretty crazy. Would you be willing to share what you feel the top three advantages are to working in the outdoor industry? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, first is the people across my career like there's just been amazing people and you meet so many of them and it's just like mine so uh even when you move on from one job to the next you keep a lot of your old co-workers or your friends and so it's kind of because i've bounced around a lot i've i mean all of my friends are through the ski industry or the outdoor industry as a whole um and they're located all over the world so uh, the people are amazing. And then you're working with, I mean, I love the outdoors, so I'm working with something that I, that I care about immensely. And that's, even if I wasn't a Gerber, if I was at a, a backpack company, uh, it still resonates with me sure. heavily. Um, it, it's just, uh, what I do. <laughs> it's what I do for fun and 
So it's just coincides with that's what I do for work. Right. Yeah. And thirdly, uh, I like what I do. I, I like, uh, marketing the outdoor industry to the public and, and, and our consumers. And it, it's a challenge every day. You got to be pretty nimble and collaborate. And I love collaboration. So yeah, there's, there's a lot. The list goes on. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a pretty good fit for you. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, then what do you, would you say the three largest challenges are to working in the outdoor industry? Ooh, um, I mean, that can be a wide spectrum. A, a long time ago, when I first got in the ski resort side of things, um, I would say the biggest challenge was uh, compensation. Um, but I was also very young at the time. Sure. I was 24. And so your first job out of college, like life's, life's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard as a semi-professional skier and it, it continued to be hard. Um, so that was a challenge then that's, uh, gotten substantially better. Um, I think across the board industry as a whole. Um, so I don't think that's an issue anymore. And then, uh, a big challenge, which in some people's eyes might not be a challenge is, uh, I'm pretty dead set on where I like to live. Sure. And so that limits, uh, who I'm working for. Luckily, there's a lot of amazing companies in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. And so that works out well for me. But there's a lot of companies based in Southern California, uh, Texas. And so you have to be able, like willing to move to those places or mm -hmm. willing to stick to one place. Because I've turned down jobs that I would have loved like years ago, but they're in Southern California and I'm. I'm not a city guy. So do you see any any leaning toward more folks going remote or al allowing remote work, you know, if if you would take a job in Texas or would they let you work remotely yet? Uh I think COVID switched that up a lot. Um I'm lucky at Gerber that uh we're pretty hybrid. Um I mostly work remote. Um I go into the office one to two days a week. It's just kind of whatever we as needed, basically what meetings are going on. Um, I work with product managers very closely. So I try to make it in one day a week to hang out with them. But COVID definitely changed things up. I think companies are more open to it now. Right. And as we've come out of COVID, I've been seeing more of a shift towards uh, the hybrid work environment. So one to two days a week in office. Right. I think they'd be willing to to negotiate that's something when uh you get an offer and you're negotiating that's definitely a a chip you can you can throw in there um like you can maybe take their offer salary wise but um work full remote instead of asking for more salary sure. or more vacation yeah um it's just a bargaining chip so yeah that's a good point but there aren't too many yeah i don't really see any negatives really um yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, just kind of choosing where you want to live. Well, yeah. that means you're in the right space, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, I, I don't want to get you in any trouble here. So if there's NDA stuff, feel free to skip that. But, uh, are there any projects that you can tell us about that you found that, you know, you're especially proud of or that were highly successful at Gerber? Um, at Gerber, uh, 
essentially right when I started, um, in massive collaboration across the board. So, um, this is speaking even well above the outdoor industry. So we work with numerous retailers, um, as do so many companies in Walmart, especially since Amazon's come around, uh, has shifted their business model to be more like Amazon, but they're still Walmart. And kind of as they go, retail goes. And so when I came on, Walmart had decided to, and you should be seeing this in stores now, put all their RFID chips on all their products. And that's not really so much consumer facing as it is more logistics on their end of things. And it, it's a massive undertaking um, to take all the packaging that, that we give them, all the products, all the SKUs, and create RFID chips <laughs> so so they can keep inventory better, things along those lines. And it was, uh, I mean, Fiskars is our parent company, and so we were working closely with uh, a massive group at Fiskars um, as well as a massive group at Gerber and I was the the project lead on that. And, uh, it was an incredibly tight deadline and I actually haven't been at Gerber too long. I've been there, uh, about 10 months. And this, this was basically within my first month. So it was like, wow, <laughs> hit the ground running. And yeah, we, we came together. The deadline was, uh, we had to have items in store September 1st. And that was, we started it in April basically. So that's a that's a crazy tight turnaround. And it's not as though Gerber has two SKUs or yeah. three SKUs <laughs> to do that on. Yeah, we had quite a few and then it's uh we had to source the the RFID chips um because it's something that we haven't done in the past. All the way down to we were also updated some packaging materials while we were doing that killing two birds with one stone. And then uh there was supply, there's who was it? Supply, sourcing, um, the product team, myself, marketing, because we had to make sure, like, how is it going to look on the shelves? How are we going to advertise this? Because it's something that uh, when you, you see it on the packaging, it's, what is this? So we had to change the design. Designers came in to play. So it's a massive undertaking, and it was successful. Walmart's super happy. So, And, and all in a few months. <laughs> yeah, it was we literally got that done within, it was a, a very busy couple months. Uh, it was, I think it was two and a half months and we figured it all out and then it had to be, um, created from there. And so, um, and we also had to repackage items that were, uh, at our warehouse. So basically we had to order all the packaging, uh, once we completed it on the back end of things and order all the packaging get things uh new product packaged and old product switched um into the new packaging and shipped <laughs> that sounds like quite the undertaking early in your time there it was it was uh yeah maybe possibly stressful at times <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's never stressful uh which, which is a perfect segue in, into my next question for you is there anything that you've noticed about the outdoor industry specifically that might make it unique from other industries? Um, Maybe something that people wouldn't guess from the outside. 
I mean, I can't speak to other industries uh, because I'm not experienced in them, but there's so many passionate people in the outdoor industry. Everybody's who's in the industry participates in some way, shape or form, whether that be hunting, fishing, biking, surfing, whatever, because the outdoor industry is such a massive umbrella. That's what I would say. I'm not sure if like lawyers are passionate. I would, I would assume they are. <laughs> um, you never know. Uh, the few that I've worked with are, but yeah, it's a very passionate industry and there's, we like to work and play. Um, and so that's, that's always a nice balance within the industry that a lot of times there's a, like, we'll go out and we'll go hiking or biking and have beers afterwards. And that's like a team building day. Right. And I think you make a good point that most of the people involved in the space are passionate about the space. Whereas I'm sure there's plenty of industries that other people are are passionate about as well, but there's lots of things that people do because there's money in it. NFTs are probably a great example of people that were maybe not passionate (laughs) about art, but were passionate about making money quick. And the outdoor industry does not seem to have a whole lot of that. Maybe some. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, if you compare industries, I'm, I'm sure we're not anywhere close to the same pay as tech. Right. That's such a, I've heard salaries in the tech industry. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's also a sacrifice you make, um, but I can't really relate to tech so for me it's hard to wrap my mind around like especially from a marketing side i'm sure i could um but it wouldn't come as easily sure as it does in the outdoor industry because it's not something that i'm passionate about it's something i use i have an iphone (laughs) it has apps on it they're just like tools um like instagram's a marketing tool right safari or chrome or whichever browser you use that's your board tool or your shopping tool so that's not something i'm passionate about versus the outdoor industry it's set and i think it's that way for everybody in the outdoor industry it's uh it's just so easy to relate and so you care a lot about it and just the ideas flow a lot better okay if any of our listeners are trying to make a move or a pivot into the outdoor industry, what would be your top three tips for somebody trying to break in for the first time? Uh, networking firstly. Um, and that can, cause you never know who you're going to meet. So if you're skiing, chat people up on the chairlift, um, same with mountain biking. If you're at a bike park or if you had a trailhead, what I found 99.99% of the people on this planet are super friendly and more than willing to chat you up. And that could lead to a beer or coffee, whatever. And from there, uh, you have a connection within the industry or there's, uh, like base camp. It's, um, kind of, a recruiting social media type thing. Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember their, uh, their URL. Um, but they have a Facebook page. They post job listings all the time, but it's also like a community. Introduce yourself on there and post your resume. 
happens all the time. Um, there's recruiters on there. Um, but there's also a lot of people on the out, in the outdoor industry on there and you can just chat them up on there and you create uh, virtual connections through that. Um, other than that, um, just keep plugging away. Like don't give up, keep applying for jobs, like getting a job. It takes time. You'll send out what 400 applications and have three interviews from that. That's just kind of how the world works. And that's usually because most jobs out there are posted and because of legal reasons, they, they already have a candidate in mind. And so they, but they have to post it. You have so many few interviews because they're posting those, uh, internally first, or they have candidates in mind. And so a lot of those postings you see, um, unless they've been there for a few months are most likely they've found somebody. And so it's really hard to get interviews. And I think that's the same across all industries. Um, so just keep persistent, uh, cold call people. Like I, I think the phone call is a lost art. I would actually be, I don't think my office phone is really plugged in, but, um, I would be pretty excited if I got a random phone call, just somebody cold calling. Um, it's a lot more personable than an email and you can get a, a better idea for who that person is. Will they be a fit within the company? Sure. It, are they passionate? Do they really care about this? Um, or are they just looking for their next job? Or are they not a fit? You can, you can kind of get a lot from that. And it shows a lot of initiative um, and just ambition to call somebody rather than <laughs> yeah i see a lot of individuals that seem to get discouraged they find kind of a dream listing or something that they think would be a perfect fit for themselves they apply to it maybe they apply to a handful of other places but then they don't hear anything back and then you know th then they're not sure where to go um, so when you say something like you know turning in 300 400 applications you know i, I think that really speaks to the level of work and commitment that somebody needs to make that like, do you really want to work in the outdoor space or do you think it would be fun to like post to Instagram from your tent, yeah. you know, once a week type of thing? Um, or is this really how you're trying to pivot your lifestyle? Yeah. Um, and that's something people have to realize too. Um, as much as it would be great to work from a tent like all the time, that's not really how it works. <laughs> Uh, it'd be fantastic, but some sides of that, like, yeah, I feel like that's kind of glorified on social media, like photo shoots. Uh, you might be camping, but it's 18 hour days, really long days working. Um, and you're there for right. maybe three days on a shoot. And then you go back and, uh, this is for my time as a freelance photographer. And then you're editing 10,000 photos. Um, it depends on what the deliverables are. And so you're in, you're in the edit cave for a, a week and you barely see daylight. So there's a lot of, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Would you say that working within like a, a sec, let's, let's say a section of the outdoor industry, because that is so broad. If you're working in a section of the industry that you're passionate about, have you found that it cuts into your ability to actually do that activity? Um, not currently. I, I'm not going to 
I'll, I'll just be straight up. Uh, when I was in the ski industry, I did get very burnt out, but I was in the ski industry for a really long time. And I was also, I was on snow, um, for my time just as a kid to semi-professional to, to working in the industry. There was years where I was on snow like 200 plus days out of the year. So I was pretty burnt out. Yeah. I'm sure that becomes a drag. Yeah. It, it wore on me, but you power through it because it's still fun. Um, and I still skied. And once I left the industry and was shooting photos, I still went on ski photo shoots and snowboard photo shoots. I was still on snow, but I, I decreased my numbers. And I think it was only a couple years. And then next thing you know, the the passion for skiing and snowboarding was was back and like tenfold. Sure possibly more than it's ever been granted i just want to ski powder now but (laughs) it's interesting that many of us get into the space because of our passion for it but you know in your case you are on the snow so much that it becomes a bit of a grind to be doing that day in day out and enduring you know whatever the weather throws at you it's been my experience these last few years that if I'm serving, whether that be fishing, hunting, archery, hiking, whatever time of year is in season, like that's the activity I cannot do because that's the selling season for that activity. Yeah. So if the fish are biting, I'm probably not on the water fishing much of the season because I'm busy making ads promoting the brands that are trying to make use of that season. Exactly. Um, And that's what that's a little bit difficult here and there, but it's also finding a balance. Um, it's also why I love mountain biking and love fishing. There's all these things that I can do to, to help not be burned out. Yeah. I, I like to diversify my portfolio, I guess, <laughs> with outdoor activities. It probably helps that you're not having to spend your entire year on the snow you know, working with Gerber, you know, it's, it's in the space that you're passionate about, but you're not having to do that physical activity day in, day out. Exactly. Um, but if I was to speak to my younger self, I would, I would tell him to probably not work as much. I worked some crazy hours just cause I loved it so much back then. I would tell myself to take breaks and go on vacations, things that most, uh, sane people <laughs> do that aren't (laughs) in their early 20s and like all of us are in our early 20s just kind of kooks and trying to make it it can be tough to do that when if you're young and hungry it it can be tough because you've you've got the energy to put in those hours exactly and you probably don't have a whole lot of responsibilities otherwise yeah you're and you want to make it you're just you're so hungry and ambitious and yeah you just gotta be able to step back take a breather well, I think that uh, I think that covers the bulk of my questions. If uh, I have just one more for you in closing here, yeah, and just if, if you have any predictions for just where the outdoor industry is headed in the coming years, do you think we're going to continue to see the growth that we saw in in nineteen and and twenty and, and a little bit in twenty one here? Um, that's a good question. Um, it's something we actually talk about quite a bit, and it's something I observe a lot. I don't think we're going to see the exponential growth that we saw in those, the outdoor boom. That's just, I don't think that's sustainable. 
um, one for the outdoors and two, uh, we're, we're already seeing it as an industry. There's a dip because there was such a massive rise. I think the bike industry grew something crazy in a year, like 800%, which is, I don't even think there's enough trails to sustain that many mountain bikers. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we're going to, we've, we're seeing it level out, uh, people who were like, well, I'll try mountain biking or I'll try hunting or I'll try fishing. They've determined they might still be into a different outdoor activity, but they've determined that mm-hmm. activity is not for them. And so we're seeing a, a little bit of a drop. I think it's going to level. It's still going to be substantially up from what it was before. Um, and well, I think we'll just like anything else from there, we'll see rises and dips. Sure. But I think we're, we're in it. Like there's more, there's more people than ever before. And right. I don't think that's going away. Um, yeah. You think we'll hold on to a, a fair amount of the new participants yeah. that picked up interest? Yep. There's always, it's barriers of entry. Um, so you get that in the ski industry a lot or, or hunting or anything. There's, there's a cost to entry, but there's also other v- barriers of entry. So, uh, with skiing, it's, or snowboarding, it's, can you get past those first days where you're just falling all the time and actually be linking turns sure. or mountain biking. I always call it the fall. Um, cause I'm a downhill mountain biker and more downhill oriented jumps. Um, are you going to have that big fall and probably break bones and then get back to it? Same in motocross, things along those lines. And it's, it's keeping people back, uh, after those barriers of entry and it's, it's always something the outdoor industry struggles with, but I think a lot of people are, are sticking with it because it's fun and they, they had the fall, they linked turns, they got past those, those hard times, they hunting, they, they had their first kill. Um, and they got past those, those barriers that people don't think about that aren't monetary and they love it and they want to continue doing it. And they want to keep it sustainable and they want to help the industries out, whether that be uh, sustainable hunting, protecting BLM land, things along those lines, um, or working, moving towards the ski industry more towards uh, a greener industry because the carbon footprint's pretty large in that industry. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of contemporary motivators to get people involved in different aspects of the outdoors and then having a catalyst like COVID-19 and having massive shutdowns and restrictions for the next six months to two years, depending on what part of the country you're in. I think for a lot of folks, that's really enough time to change habits that, you know, they're going to the bar every weekend or they're going to a ball game every weekend suddenly becomes every other weekend. And then they're going to the lake or the hiking trails or the campground. It might just be enough to stick and help the outdoor industry hang on to some of that lifeblood that it, I mean, let's face it by, by the end of like 2014, 2015, I mean, the the outdoor industry was really kind of hurting for something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, I think it was needed. Um, like that, that expansion that happened. Yeah. It, it breathed new life into the entire industry. And I think we're seeing better products coming out 
uh, uh, more diverse products, more entry level products, all the way up to more advanced products. Um, so you're just seeing better research because there's more people there and there's more assets and more money to complete that research and execute it. Absolutely. The advancements in women's lines the last couple of years and, and even into like plus size sizing and stuff really has has made leaps and bounds from what it was. I mean, the uh, buying clothing for my wife uh, for a long time, women's wear for outdoors was just like a slightly shorter, you know, length version of like the men's entry level yep. with like a pink logo on it. It was usually lacking features or layers or you know it's kind of like the the watered down version you know and now we're seeing brands like dsg come onto the scene where it's as good as the menswear with all the bells and whistles that people would want on it yeah it's been it's been awesome to watch um on that side of things uh just the it's more trying to think the right wording um I mean, women are making products for women now or versus I'm not really sure what was before, <laughs> um, <laughs> but events like there's Red Bull formation, uh, which is, it's a mountain biking event. It's basically the same, similar to Red Bull rampage, but it's put on, um, by Katie Holden who works for Red Bull and used to ride for giant. Um, but she created this event that's for women by women and it's not, it's not being forced by by people that don't really understand. And then there's better products coming out um, that are catered to, like, as you mentioned, they, they aren't just pink. <laughs> yeah. The, the pink, <laughs> a pink version of the boys or, you know, the yeah. youth version of it. That yeah. that's what it was for a long time. And I think to your point, there was not enough female decision makers involved in those roles. But I think the last few years we are seeing more and more people being connected. It goes back to what you were initially saying about the outdoor industry being a, centered around very passionate people. And I think we're finally starting to see people with the right passion being put into the right roles. And that we're starting to see these innovations for you know all, all different levels of inclusion, um, but in a way that it's designed by the audience for the audience, right? That it's, it's women's wear exactly. from a women's point of view instead of what's, you know, some gentleman thought uh, should have a pink logo on it. Yeah, it was very male dominated before. And it's nice to see that. I mean, it still is, but um, just across the board, inclusivity is coming around um, and you see it. it yeah. In, in every outdoor sport. And it's pretty awesome to see personally breaking down those barriers that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't really know where they were there. Right. The first place, I mean, the, the outdoors has, has always been just sort of, um, you know, com coming back to yourself. I mean, there's, there's always that camaraderie, but you know, we, we get out into the outdoors to kind of get away from it all. Right. And that's, I think that's a pretty universal feeling, no matter what your background is that to escape kind of the daily grind, whether that be skiing, biking, camping, you know, get, getting away from the hustle and bustle of it all. I think everybody can relate to that. Exactly. And it's the best <laughs> <laughs> people like it and there needs to be more.
everybody should enjoy the outdoors. So before I, I let you go here, is, is there anything new or exciting that you can give us a peek at from Gerber? Any Anything you can tease us on without getting in trouble? Ooh. Um, so we have some camping knives out there currently and camping products. Um, you'll see more on the camping side of things in the future. Okay. I don't think that'll get me in trouble. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble. I'll take that. It's just marketing, so it shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know what the product is. We just know to watch for more camping stuff from Gerber. Yeah, and like most of the, I mean, just industry in general, we work basically two years in advance. So, um, yeah. Oh, so you have all kinds of cool stuff in development that I, I won't see for a while now. Yeah. Uh, I would say you'll start seeing cool new things later 23, early 24. Okay. We're in 23 now, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just wrap my mind, my mind around that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that takes care of all my questions. Any, any thoughts that you wanted to leave us with at all? Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, Anybody out there who's trying to break in, just stay persistent, positive, and make those connections. People helping people. Thanks so much for joining us today, Hames. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too.